Hey, welcome to the 37 Signals podcast. On this episode, Jason Freed and David Hannemeyer Hansen are going to answer your questions about 37 Signals. Uh, a while back, we posted a blog post at Signal vs. Noise that asked what topics you'd like to hear us discuss on the podcast. And there were a lot of good suggestions there, so we decided we'd just run through them all in a rapid-fire question-and-answer style. Uh, it actually took a while, so we're going to split it up into a few different segments. So here's part one of the Q&A session. All right, so Addy asks, uh, money, what are your beliefs or approaches about making money? Do you believe that money is easy to make? And what made the difference in changing your mindset around making, having, and spending money? Well, my take is, is that um, I think you have to practice. Just like anything else, you have to practice. And if you want to be really good at it, you practice for a long time. And then you're going to be really good at it. And it will become easy. Just as if you know, the first time you pick up an instrument, it's not very easy, but you're into it five years or even 10 years, it becomes pretty easy. So I don't think there's much difference between that and making money. And recommended reading resources and or book reviews that really made a practical difference in your business? There's still Addy going. He's got a couple questions. David, you want to jump on that one? Yeah. Uh, Maverick is definitely one of those books that just made me realize that all right, I think we're doing crazy things at 37 Signals. Hell no. Here's a guy that has a company of 8,000 people, and he's doing things that are even crazier. So I think that was a good catalyst to just think there's no limit here. There's no sort of ceiling of how much you can experiment with changing or running your business. Um, when these guys can do it at, at a scale that's just unfathomable to us, uh, we can certainly try pretty much everything we want to try. And then his last question, what counts more in building a successful business, the mindset or the execution and why? And he's talking about the business philosophy versus the execution. Hmm. I don't really separate those things. I, I don't know if you can. Uh, I think um, I haven't really thought much about this, so it's kind of a good question, I guess. But I don't really feel like there's much separation. I think that uh, if, if your mindset is all about building great products and executing beautifully, then that's what you do. Um, by the way, there's a dog in the background. Like, I don't know if you guys can hear that, but anyway, yeah. um, there's uh, that's kind of my take on it is that it's kind of the same thing. I don't know. What do you think, David? Do you have any take on yeah, it? Yeah, mindset is sort of a weird, floaty idea. I think that maybe mindset actually it is about execution. We don't even know how to define mindset, but we certainly know how to define execution. So if you're choosing between those two words, execution is the one to pick. Uh, execution for us is is all about actually making something great out of it and actually doing the work. And mindset to me sounds like a floaty, very cloudy idea that we don't even know how to define. Yeah, I think that's a good point, actually. All right, next up, Pat is surprised that we're even asking. He says, do what you love, and those who love what you do will follow. No? Um, yes. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I mean, how are we to know what, what somebody else might be interested in hearing about? I mean, a lot of what we do is just obviously natural to what we do. That doesn't mean that it's not interesting or at least something that people can have questions about. And we're not going to be able to anticipate all these questions up front. So, right. uh, that and question. I think people get into a binary way of thinking about this, too, that you have to completely do what you want and not ask for any feedback or the complete opposite, whereas you can, you can mix them right. in with each other. Uh, let's move on. JR says, products and services you use to support your business, credit card processor, virtual phone system, accounting, lawyers. What do we use? Um, so for credit card ahead. processing, we use uh, Braintree, which is an absolutely awesome service. The only problem is that it's not a, 
equal opportunity service as far as I've understood it. They only take sort of premium customers in the terms of you have to be making, I don't know, 30 grand or more a month. Um, but they're absolutely fantastic. Before that, we used Chase Payment Tech, and that was okay. But there's very few services in that space that are great. Braintree is one of them. So if they'll have you as a customer, I'd absolutely say go with it. Um, virtual phone system, we don't really use the phone that often. We all have cell phones. Um, we use Vonage here at the office occasionally. Um, and David, you're actually using Magic Jack, which is kind of Yeah, neat. absolutely. Yeah, I, um, I'm living out in California for the winter, and in the place I'm living, I have absolutely zero cell phone service. So I had to pick up something VoIP-like. And there's this thing called Magic Jack, which is pretty cheesy. If you go to the <laughs> website, it pretty much looks like a TV shop infomercial thing and it's and it absolutely is pretty cheesy but it works it's 40 bucks the thing arrives uh a few days after you order it and there's like a 20 dollar yearly service and that's that's it and then you got free calls and it totally works great you just plug it in you get to your computer your computer has to be on at all times and then you can use regular phones and you even get a phone number for it too it's awesome yeah so accounting and lawyers you know we, we have accountant and we have a lawyer we have a couple different lawyers depending but um you know, I don't really have any specific recommendations for, for My those. My recommendations for those are use them as little as possible. Well, yeah, yeah, it right, true. absolutely amazing how quickly you can run up a huge bill with, uh, with both sets uh, if, if you're not careful. All right, next up, Sean McCambridge asks, starting from scratch, gaining momentum, how to overcome the chicken-egg problem of having an unproven entity. Those aren't questions, Sean, but I think we know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, I think but the, the bottom line is, is that, you know, it just takes time. And uh, gaining momentum is going to be just—it's going to be slow, and you're going to gain momentum slowly, and that's just how it's going to be. So, chicken and egg, unproven—the whole thing. You are unproven. No one knows who you are up front, unless you've done something in the past. But you just have to give it time. We've been doing this for ten years now, actually eleven years now, and uh, it just takes time. That's all. And also, maybe you don't have to quit your job the way a lot of people think. You know that you can start something on the side and, and give yourself that extra time. That too. Yeah. Uh, Definitely. Next up, Tommy says, talk about the entrepreneur landscape as your experience in it. I don't really know what that means. Um, All right. Well, we don't, don't have know. to answer it then. <laughs> <laughs> David, do you have any take on that one? you know what that means? I, not really, but uh, the core opening pitch I always give is that if you're doing something to offer, uh, the landscape, so to speak, has never been better. Like, it's never been easier, cheaper, faster to start, build, and launch something. So, I mean, it's a great time to be starting stuff online. All right. Tommy says you're an idea of an absolute must-do list for small startups. Um, you must do something. <laughs> you must create a product. you got to stop just talking about it. So I, I think that's really you know, the bottom line. I, I mean, keep it as simple as you possibly can. Whatever idea you have, cut it in half and just get that first half done really well. Actually, it doesn't even have to be done really well. Just get it done. That's the first thing you got to do. So that's kind of the must do. I think there's too much planning, too much thinking, too much talking going on. Just just do something, and that's what you must do. I'd say must do charge for stuff. If you're going to build a startup as in this is going to be a business, then make sure that there's a business there. So figure out how you're going to charge and make this pay from day one. Don't figure, oh, we're going to figure that out 18 months down the road when we have some users to tell us how it's all supposed to work. Bullshit. Put a price on it right now and uh, just make sure you'd pay for it and then get it out there. I like David's answers today, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> They're good. 
All right. Next up is Drew, who wants us to talk about the uh, success and failure of non-tech items. Uh, he wants to hear 37 Signals' take on, say, how to improve the DMV or military procurement or something else non-tech related. I kind of just stay away from those sort of questions because I don't know anything about that world, so it's kind of hard to answer those questions myself. I don't know. David, you're, you're on fire today. Do you have any uh, points? Well, I, I think that the easiest way to improve something is uh, experience how much it sucks on your own body. So I've been to the DMV a few times, and it sucked. Uh, and like that's as, as much as it takes. It's, there's no rocket science there. Just put any of the executives or consultants or whatever in line to change their license plate or something like that and make them go through the line, and it'll be immediately apparent what needs to change. So put yourself in the role of the customer, and I mean, there's going to be a fountain of ideas for you to uh, pick from on, on what to improve. Yeah, there's actually a show on, uh, was it CBS now, called Undercover Boss? Which I think oh, exactly. was on. Yes. Which, that's I exactly. really loved the, the yeah, yeah. first episode, which was the waste management guy. And he went out there and, you know, rode on the garbage trucks and uh, picked up trash and did the whole thing, cleaned out toilets. And he spotted some things that were just completely wrong that he didn't even think about or hadn't thought about. And it's not that he's a bad guy. He just, like, had never really experienced what it's like to do those jobs. So this I thought that was really cool. This is actually exactly why having a manager who's never been an employee sucks ass. It's really terrible when you have to deal with people who've never been in your shoes. Um, and I've worked at a couple of uh, tech companies where that's true, where you have people who this is sort of the first company they've started. They've never really worked for anybody else. Thus, they make terrible people decisions because they can't emphasize with being on the other side of things. And if you can't emphasize with the people you're meant to lead or manage or whatever, you're going to make stupid decisions. So put yourselves in, in, in the roles of the people you're trying to, to help, whether that's a customer or whether that's an employee or, or whatever else it is. You have to be able to walk in their shoes to, to know what's a good uh, call. All right. Jermaine asks, when you're just starting a business and you're standing there amongst the rest that have already been there for years, what are good methods to attract an audience? Uh, well, you you got to have a point of view. That's the first thing. You can't attract an audience if you have nothing to say because no one's going to stick around to listen to you. You can get people to listen to you once, um, but that's not really an audience. To me, an audience is a group of people that come back and back and back over time because you have something to say. So what's your point of view? What do you believe in? Uh, and start talking about it and yeah, start talking about it everywhere you can. Right. If there's all these other people in the same industry, if you're not doing anything interesting, well, you don't deserve an audience. Like you don't deserve to attract anybody else. So you have to be unique in some way. I mean, it doesn't have to be totally different than what everybody else is doing, but you have to have, as Jason said, a point of view, something that, about you that, that makes a difference to people that they would actually care about. All right, and Peter wants to know how to go about developing an idea for an, a web app when you don't know the first thing about programming. He's got a clear vision of how the app should work, but he knows that a great idea with poor execution won't get far. What advice would you give him? Well, this is Learn actually program. Well, two things. I mean, that's one thing. Um, but I almost feel like it, this is me asking this question because, uh, you know, when I came up, actually, well, a little bit of both, I guess. When I came up with, with an idea for, for a product, I did sort of learn how to program it good enough, at least to get it going. But even before that, even if you don't know how to program, uh, we always advocate designing first. So, right. you know, if, if you're not a designer, that's another story. But let's say you have design skills and no programming skills, which is basically me. You can design screens. You can think through how the app's going to work, and then you can find a programmer 
who can do it, or you can learn how to do it on your own, which is basically how I met David. I learned, I tried to learn how to write PHP on my own, and I got far enough, but then I got stuck, and I needed help, and David was there, and he responded, and that's how we hooked up. So, um, design yeah, first. Learn to program basically means learn to do something. Like this sounds a little bit like I just want to be the idea guy, and I fucking hate that. I hate stuff started by people who just want to be idea guys. We just you got the explicit flag on uh, iTunes. Yeah, oh, seriously. <laughs> you just got to do something. You got to be able to have some skill that can be a meaningful contribution to actually building the thing. So if you can't design or if you can't program or if you can't do something else that is part of that building process, you got to learn it. All right. Adam says, we sometimes deal with customers who send detailed feature suggestions that border on software design. How do you encourage feedback that is useful and discourage that which is not? I don't think you should really discourage feedback. Um, you should just take it all in stride and listen to it all um, and tell people you appreciate their suggestions, especially when they're detailed, and then you, you move on. But I, I wouldn't tell people not to give you feedback. Okay. Michael says, I'd like to hear your opinions on naming a website service. Should a name be descriptive or should it just be a fun sounding one? How would it uh, influence the business? Um, I don't know. I, I, I love naming things. Um, so I just enjoy the process. I, I don't really know if it needs to be descriptive at all. Um, fun sounding. I don't really think it matters is the truth unless it's terrible. Like I think if Basecamp was called Project Management Express, it probably wouldn't have done as well. But I don't know if it really matters. Uh, and I think that you shouldn't spend, you know, tons of money on it, for example. You might want to spend a little bit of time on it, but I wouldn't spend a lot of money. I wouldn't hire a naming company or a branding firm to worry about that kind of thing. So come up with something that you like, that you're comfortable with, that, that works, and, and go with it. Yeah, I think it's mostly for you. Like, we have a lot of fun throwing names back and forth when we're coming up with something new. But it's mostly just to satisfy our own sense of accomplishment. Hey, base camp, that sounds kind of like uh, we're all meeting at this camp and like all this stupid stuff you come up with to justify the name. Uh, it's mostly just for you and your own sake. I doubt that most companies are going to give a hoot about it. In fact, Basecamp to a lot of people was not known as Basecamp for a very long time. It was known as Group Hop, Project Path, and a bunch of other sort of questionable names. And it didn't matter at all. All right. Ryan Heath says, I have a solid full-time job, but have a side business and I'm building a golf app that will cost money for people to use. I'm far from the diehard entrepreneur and wouldn't call myself a startup, really. It's just me building an app that I really enjoy and maybe other people will find it useful. Do I have a chance in hell at actually making a respectable amount of money from this? Would you say if I did, it would be blind luck? This is exactly how we got started in some sense. Like we had a side business and we built this thing for ourselves and um, then turned out, hey, this could be a product we could charge money for. Uh, well, the key thing, I guess, is, is this golf app you're building, is this something you would pay for? Um, sometimes it's hard to get people to pay for stuff that's just about their hobbies. Um, it's certainly a lot easier to get people to pay for something that's about how they make money or how they run their business. So that's sort of strike one against, in general, building something for, for end users. But hey, maybe golf apps is... It could work there. I, I'd say the first test is just to ask yourself, would you pay for it? And then ask another five golfers that you know, would they pay for it? If the answer from all those guys is no, then don't waste your time and move on to something else. If it's yes, hey, maybe you're on to something. The good news, though, is that more people waste money on golf stuff than probably any oh, other sport in the world. So you have a good shot there. 
Okay, so Adam says, it's clear what the themes are in your blog. There's nothing wrong with beating your drum. However, it's beginning to feel like it's my head that's being beaten. For instance, did you try calling up Aaron Patzer before you blasted him about selling mint to Intuit? And also, what books or blogs have you read lately that compel you to consider other points of view about how to run a company? Well, first of all, I'd say if, if you don't like the message and if you feel like the message is hitting you over the head, you should probably just not read the site anymore. Um, there's no reason to cause yourself pain. If you don't like it, you know, leave. That's totally fine with us. Um, as far as the, the Mint Post, I mean, the Mint Post was an opinion piece. It's not investigative journalism. It's not something I'm, I'm going out and researching. It was my point of view, and I stand by it. Um, and I think over time, it'll probably pan out. And I think, uh, I think you'll see what will happen to Mint um, when it's part of a big, huge company like Intuit. Um, and lastly, as far as books and blogs about considering other points of view, we're very open to other points of view, and we pay attention to a lot of different points of view. Uh, and I think our point of view is 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 uh, is uh, made up of lots of different points of view. So, you know, plus our own experience, of course. So uh, we're very open to other things. Um, but of course, on our site, we're going to share our point of view. Uh, that just doesn't mean that we're not listening to anybody else. All right. Uh, David wrote, if you rewrote Getting Real today, what would the evolutionary changes be? Would the fundamentals remain unchanged? And what have you learned in the interim? Wait and see uh, what you find in rework. <laughs> I mean, that's basically it. We rewrote Getting Real as uh, rework and uh, all the changes are in there. All right. March 9th. <laughs> all right. And, Your uh, local bookstore. Right. <laughs> Daniel asked. Amazon.com. <laughs> and, and many other retailers as well yes barnes and noble borders uh, 800 ceo read uh, indie what's it called sorry indie something indie something Actually, indie bound indie, indie bound. bound um well let's keep moving then uh daniel this might be too long to answer here but let's let's see daniel i'd like to hear more about how 37 signals answers came about like a case study of an actual 37 signals app what are the early lessons from the two two week cycle were there unforeseen constraints when and how did you decide on the most basic functionality? And he goes on from there. What do you think? Uh, this is oh. actually a good one. You want to take this, David? Sure. Okay. So answers basically came about because there was too much spam in our beast forums. And we generally just weren't happy changing that beast forum system that we already had. So we thought, hey, what could we do in two weeks? So the project actually started out as, not as answers, it started out as beauty. So beast, beauty, get it? Um, we were going to basically just do a new form system that was going to be super simple and it was going to tie into 37ID to prevent spam. Well, we get about three days into the project and then we realized, hey, look at all these questions. They all kind of sound like answers, don't they? They're not just forms. It's not just people discussing, hey, uh, what did you have for dinner today? Uh, it's like, how do I do stuff? So what if we change the approach of the form to be about answers and stuff? And then we looked at a bunch of answers app. We looked at the Yahoo Answers, Stack Overflow, um, a bunch of stuff like this that's focused around answers and thought, hey, that's a better model than just having a straight up forum. So let's go with that instead. And let's take the patterns that we already developed for the old forum. Like we would, in parentheses, after the title of a um, forum post, we would write answered. If somebody from 37 Signals had been in to answer the question or anybody else had answered that question, just so we could see what's the open issue, what's still being discussed. Okay, so this is day three. Um, so we change it over. It becomes about answers instead, um, which basically becomes about getting that stamp, that answers stamp, and basically calling the thing answers too. So 
we just developed that. Um, we had a to-do list of things we wanted to get in, and we just started fiddling down the features until they fit within two weeks. It was a hard constraint. We were like, the beginning was, we're only going to do this if we're going to launch in two weeks. Otherwise, don't bother. So everybody on the team knew from the get-go that this was um, going to be a hard limit. We're not going to waste six weeks on this. It's not worth that much to the company to, to spend p- people's time for six weeks on it. So... That was basically just how it, uh, how it came about. Uh, we just fiddled down the features until we had almost nothing left. And in fact, actually, I think we went a little overboard on some things. We had, uh, Jason, that thing with double tackings or multiple tackings. Oh, yeah, yeah we, we actually, it's funny. Since that product launched, we actually removed some features from it. Uh, we used to list tags on the kind of list of questions view. We pulled that off. Uh, we pulled a few, uh, something else off too. I forget, but basically, um, yeah, we st- we think we could have even pared it down even more. So currently, you can select multiple tags for a question, and really, all you need to select is one category, and you don't even need to select a category at all. Truly, I mean, right. answers would have been just fine without even any categories because the question itself pretty much defines the category. So, and it, anyway, so there's even more that we could have pulled off uh, or pulled out. Uh, yeah, I think actually, if we had known from the beginning, the other thing was that we spent a ton of time just initial phases getting up and running on Rails 3. We were running before there was a beta out and there were still a lot of bugs, so we spent a lot of time on that. If we had had, if we had just gone with a stable version of Rails and had known that we were going to do answers and had pared down the features we later removed, we could absolutely have done this in one week, not two. And that'll wrap it up for this episode of the 37 Signals podcast. There are more questions and answers to go, so stay tuned to future episodes where we'll deal with the rest of the questions in that thread. Also, if you want more information on this podcast or previous ones or want to see related links from this episode, go to 37signals.com slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye.